Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and today is a big day for you, for me, for our guest. Hold on to your butts, guys, because we have our first reality TV show star on the show, Jacqueline Trumbull. How are you doing? Hello. Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, Jacqueline, you are an incredibly dynamic individual with many, 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 many talents, but people may remember you from season 22 of The Bachelor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you hate (laughs) being associated with The Bachelor? (laughs) No, I don't. It's fine. Um, I had a great... <laughs> it's fine. I had a I had a great time filming The Bachelor. Um, it's it's a you know kind of a receding part of my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many so many good things came out of that show. Um, definitely wasn't all positive, but um, I, I think that I won't be completely associated with it for that many more years. Okay. Yeah. You think it'll probably dissipate into the past? I I think so. I mean, I I think people tend to forget the contestants that were on like five years ago and now I'm three years out. Yeah. So So you you have another two years until it's yesterday's (laughs) news. Okay. Well, we're so glad to have you on. Um, You seem like an incredible human with a high EQ and IQ. You, you, Are you getting your PhD right now? I am, yeah. Okay, and what are you getting that in? I'm getting it in clinical psychology at Duke University. Oh my gosh, Duke. (laughs) My brother went to Duke. Oh, my sister went to Duke and my mom. I was rejected. Oh my gosh, you guys are just a whole blue devil family. Oh, I know. And the pressure to get into Duke was so high when I was growing up. I oh, mean, my gosh. We were huge basketball fans. We were all decked out in Duke gear. And then I got rejected for undergrad. So it was a big chip on my shoulder. Oh, my gosh. But you redeemed yourself. With, redeemed now you're myself. getting your PhD <laughs> there. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, tell us who you are outside of egg freezing and The Bachelor. Give us a glimpse of the real Jacqueline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the PhD is kind of the major thing right now. Um, I, I'm i 30, so and I just started it two years ago. So um, I'm a little late to the game, but I'm a therapist. So I, you know, I see patients. I absolutely love that part of my life and my career. Um, and I just like to think about psychology and philosophy more generally um, and kind of questions about how best to live, how to get along better um, how to understand other people. Those are the things I'm most interested in, but I've, I, you know, I was living in New York city until now and was living that kind of party girl lifestyle. So I've got, Oh my gosh, I've been watching sex life right now. And so when you say (laughs) New York city party girl lifestyle, I just immediately go to the sex life on Netflix. Are you watching it? No, I watched a quarter of an episode and had to turn it off because I, don't think it's the right show for me to watch at this point in my life. <laughs> I, you know, I'm in like a serious partnership now and living in North Carolina and I was so in love with New York and that whole scene and kind of the, the sex part of that scene. And I think uh, 
you know, watching a show about a suburban mom who misses that life a little bit too much is like, not. not oh my gosh. Part. Yeah. I think it's bringing up a lot for a lot of people. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yes. Um, Anyways, another episode, another conversation, but um, let's dive into your egg freezing journey. Why did you decide to do this? How did you come to this decision? Yeah, so I, um, one of my really good friends is Caroline Lunny. She was on The Bachelor with me, and uh, she found out at the age of 29 that she had diminished ovarian reserve and essentially was basically premenopausal. And she found this out through modern fertility, just getting her AMH levels checked and found out that it was very, very low. Uh, and then she eventually found her way to Dr. Amy, our, our doctor, and started freezing her eggs. So I just kind of saw her journey and realized, okay, it's, you know, like a hundred bucks to find out about how many eggs I've got. What a great idea. And, um, so I got that checked. I got a very high AMH, so everything looked great. And in my mind, it was like, okay, you know, I'm, I've finished just two years of my PhD. I have four more left. And then, you know, the fifth year of that is internship, which might be in a different state. And then there's postdoc, which is two years and that could be in a different state. And all of that moving around and focusing on my career, it's like, when am I going to have time for a baby? Maybe one, but like two babies, probably not. Um, you know, my, my partner is an academic, so we got to think about where he gets tenure. And so realizing all that, I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be in a truly stable place until I'm 36 years old. Um, and I'm not really going to be making a truly stable income until then either, which is just the joy of, of academia. So, you know, there were a lot of career considerations. There's a lot of, you know, I think even when we talk about like the wage gap, um, at least in academia, you know, you get, you get promoted, you get paid, you get offered jobs on the basis of how much you've published and men are really at a huge advantage, um, just purely because they can wait until they're 40 years old to start having kids and they can publish and publish and publish and, and totally focus on their career until then women don't have that luxury. Um, and so it can majorly set us back. And so I just kind of wanted to be able to have fuller control over my timeline and be able to prioritize what I want to prioritize. And so getting that AMH level, I was like, fantastic. I'm going to get like 20 eggs. Um, I'm going to, you know, basically just remove the biological clock completely. <laughs> I guess I the biological cock. Um, and <laughs> that little stupid little thing, <laughs> yeah. always ticking in the background. It is always ticking in the background. And I didn't like the ticking, you know, and I mean, at the time I was in a fairly new relationship too. And I had always been a commitment phobe before. So I'm like, I, I don't know, like when it's like, I would love to just not even have to worry about like finding a partner to have kids with at this point. Um, so yeah, so I just I just wanted control. And so you you know, one of the amazing ways that we got connected was through Dr. Amy, mm -hmm. um who's also my doctor, and um you just had your first egg retrieval. How mm -hmm. did things go? Not as expected. Yeah. Um I, you know, I showed up for my first ultrasound feeling pretty smug about my AMH level. Like we are going to get so many, she's gonna, she's gonna show me my little like 
pot like polka dotted ovaries that you're it's just gonna, gonna have a village okay. you're gonna have a whole village of eggs <laughs> exactly um and you know i get there and she's looking at the right ovary and she's like all right i see some follicles one two three four five six and then she stopped counting and i was like eh, what that seems low i was expecting like 13 follicles from one ovary. She's like, well, let's just take a look at the left. You know, that just might be, you know, it might be a higher populated village. (laughs) More populated village. Let's go look over there. Yeah, we got population of six over one. And then (laughs) uh, a little farm village in Indiana or something. Yeah. Yeah. So then she goes to the left and my friend and Caroline was in the room with me and Amy's like, Caroline, can you step out of the room, please? Which is not never what you want to hear. Um, and then she looked and she said, it, it looks like you have a severe endometrioma on your left ovary and it's covering the entire ovary. Uh, so there, there were no follicles there whatsoever. So, Wow. That's, you know, I was in my head, I always assumed that endometriosis and oma all was just in the uterus, but this yeah. was sort of over on your ovary. Yeah, I had thought of it as a uterine thing as well, but apparently endometriosis can spread throughout your whole pelvis, basically, and sometimes it can go even further. It's been found on lungs, I guess. Whoa! Yeah, it's not something I know a ton about. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it turns out, I mean, I might not have endometriosis. She was 98% sure at the time, just because that's what it looked like. Uh, but then she did a test called like a C25 test, CA25, something like that. She was actually checking for ovarian cancer because I, I have ovarian cancer in my family. And I mean, all she can tell from the ultrasound is that, that there's a mass there. And that by far the most common explanation for an ovarian mass that of that size is endometriosis. Um, so she wanted to check for cancer and basically like if you get a really like elevated number on this test, it could indicate cancer. If you get a fairly elevated number, it can indicate severe endometriosis. Um, I got a very low number, so it, it's kind of 50-50 on whether I have endometriosis or it's a benign mass. But, you know, assuming it is endometriosis, uh, that ovary is just taken out, basically. Um you're going to get surgery to try to remove it, but. And is she going to, is Dr. Amy going to do the surgery or is that something you're going to go through your own OB? Yeah, I'm going to do that here, but then she'll do two more egg freezings. Okay. Got it. I mean, what went through your head when you learned that you had endometriosis? I mean, a bunch of things. One was the cost, like, holy crap, I don't know how I'm going to afford this to do this three times. Um, Two was... Because you, yeah, because you went in thinking you were only going to have to have one egg retrieval. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the second was, it just didn't really make sense. I have no pain. There there were, I had thought of endometriosis as a, just as a disease where you experience severe pain and oftentimes you do, um, but apparently not always. And it was just really shocking. You know, I mean, my, my mom and my sister got pregnant very easily. My mom had me at 40. Um, so when I had gotten that high AMH level, it had made sense to me. Like, yeah, you know, fertility goddess, just like my mom's sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm fertile Myrtle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So that was a bit of a, a shift. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was really shocking and really, really, really sad. Um, you know, Amy had also said like, if this is endometriosis, you might want to consider getting pregnant really soon mm. because if, you know, if you get it removed, A, they could take your whole ovary out and B, even if it does regain function, the endometriosis can just come back and take over the other ovary or the same ovary or hit the uterus and then cause miscarriages. Mm. So that was like, you know, I was... I was getting whoa, whoa! To... I mean, like now you got to have a whole other conversation with your partner. Yeah, yeah. What happened after that? Well, he was really excited about the prospect of getting pregnant immediately. Um, See, that's a good guy. That's a good guy. <laughs> you know, that's somebody that you know you've you've got a good one. Yeah, he's really excited. I mean, he's, you know, turning 39 in September. And so he's like, I'm going to be too old to have babies soon. <laughs> Got to start. Um, yeah, he was super excited. I, I don't know if that's really what we're going to do. I mean, it, it, I think when you hear the news, it's like there's almost a relief in just being told what to do. Mm. That I didn't have to think about what it was going to do to my career or anything. I just had to do it. Like it was the decision was made. Um. But, you know, then you calm down a little bit, process it. It's like, is this the responsible thing to do? I don't know. So all of those questions are still swirling in my head. And until I get a definitive endometriosis diagnosis, I don't even know what the right thing to do. I don't know if I have to get pregnant immediately or if everything's fine. So like, you're going to wait for more information at this point. Yeah. That's great. You know... As I'm talking to you, I'm just sort of remembering and recalling my own journey where you do start to get decision fatigue, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh my gosh, another, I'm at another crossroads. What do I do? Yeah. You know? Um, but at this point, you guys are going to move forward with another two egg egg freezing cycles. Yeah. Um, and you will come back to the Bay area for those with Dr. Amy. Yeah. Yeah. I just really, I, I, I like that. She's always there for me. I can text her. It feels like she's on my team. She's going to help me find a doctor for the uh, mass removal. Um, so I just, I, I'd rather yeah, go she, with her. Like you can just count on her being in your corner for life, man. Yeah. You know, um, what is one thing you wish you knew before you started the process of freezing your eggs? I wish I knew how how thing, how swiftly things change and how you get your hopes up one day and then they're crushed the next day. I mean, and and I guess I I was a little bit more clear on, you know, not that she didn't tell me this, but just in my own head um really kind of getting a handle on the idea that like more follicles might show up, but they might not get big enough. So I started with six follicles. I was really devastated, but then, you know, two days later or something, three more follicles popped up and I was like, okay, this is great. Like I've got, you know, I've got nine. And then in the end I only got four mature eggs. So it kind of went back to that six number. Um, so I, I, and, you know, just like, okay, we're going to be testing for cancer. Or we're going to be, you know, or, um, it can quickly snowball into like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's like, well, I just opened a massive Pandora's box yeah, and I have no idea where this road is going to lead me. Did you yeah. ever consider, um, uh, 
making embryos with your partner's sperm. Yeah, we might do one cycle of that. Yeah. Got it. Got I mean, it. frankly, I just, I, I want my own eggs also just to be in, you never know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it's oh, divorced, yeah. if he dies, something like that, I just, you know, I want to be able to have control. Yeah, and you want options. Right. You want options. Um. Okay, so this is going to be the crux of okay. our conversation because this has been weighing on my soul for a long time. Okay. I've been wanting to do an egg freezing episode for over a year now. Mm-hmm. And I have asked um, four women, three of whom I have close relationships with. Yeah. Um, and no one wanted to openly share about freezing their eggs. Why do you think women are ashamed to talk about freezing their eggs? And do you think there's a weird old maid label that gets associated with it? I think there certainly is. Um, I would like to hear the reasoning for why your friends didn't want to share. I mean, I think it's something I can't really relate to because, um, well, maybe because I've been sharing so much of myself ever since going on The Bachelor, but egg freezing, it's just such a sensible thing to do. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think one thing that's becoming more and more clear is that it's really hard actually to get pregnant in your thirties. And that's not something that people admit or talk about, but I know many more, like if I took the percentage of all my female friends in their thirties, the vast majority are having difficulty getting pregnant. Um, and, and are doing things like egg freezing. And so it, it does just seem to be something that people maybe think it's very shameful to have difficulty getting pregnant, it makes them less of a woman, they don't want to admit to it. But then there's all these other women who are doing the same thing. Um, but, it, you know, it, I can say that when I do share that I'm getting my eggs frozen, I get so many comments, especially from men that are like, why? You're so young. You don't need to do this. What are you thinking? And it's like, because this is the time to freeze my eggs. I mean, why would I wait until the eggs are low quality and, you know, your, your dollar is only going to stretch so far. Um, if I had done this at 25, I'd have a lot more than four eggs on ice right now. But what, I mean, what do you think? Did did they give, they give reasons about it? You know, a couple of them gave me reasons. So two of them, and these are like, these are women who had, um, long-term, they got divorced, let's Mm. say that. And they, they left their partnership without any children and they wanted to preserve their fertility, you know, in case they met somebody else down the line. Yeah. Um, and two of them are in high powered jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm talking, you know, high tech industry, Um, One is an attorney Um, and they, I know one of them, their employer offered it for free. Uh And that's one of the things that is sort of coming up a lot in Silicon Valley is like, is it appropriate, ethically appropriate (laughs) for employers to offer that? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they're conflicted. There's something gross about it. And what that is, I think, is just that it's very clear that the employer is essentially saying, we want you to work for us. <laughs> we want you to work. 
<laughs> like, we don't want you to have have children. We want you to wait. We right. just want you to, like, work for us right now. Right, right. That being said, if I were to get a job that offered free egg freezing, it would be, it would definitely increase my odds of taking that job, you know? I know. It's um, a nice, I mean, knowing the costs involved, it is a very nice benefit. It is. And, you know, I mean, I, I do think that there's a kinder interpretation than they just want to turn you into a workhorse and they don't want you to have babies. I mean, it is, we talk so much about policies on, on to fix the wage gap and, you know, and how it's a sexism thing. And there's some truth to that, but it's, it's also just, we do have babies that grenade our career in our mid thirties and men don't have to. And it is kind of nice for a company to say, look, like I'm going to put it into your hands. You can have kids now or you can have kids later, but we don't want you to be naturally uh, disadvantaged just because mm. you're a woman and this is the only time you can have kids. Mm. So I do think it's an equalizer. Yeah. And I do. I'm also coming up with another conversation I had with Dr. Amy, which was it just gives you options. Like yeah. you just want options at that point. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I I feel oh another reason I know one of the friends that I asked was not open about her journey with her family. Okay. She didn't tell a lot of people. Um were you open about it with your family? Yeah. Um I got some pushback mostly from my mom just because she was worried that I was going to screw uh, screw up my organs. <laughs> um but, you know, ultimately, it's it's not like she stood in my way at all. I, I just think it's something people don't know about. They don't understand. And um, I think some people think you're taking your entire egg reserve. <laughs> yeah, you're taking your whole risk. basket. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, instead of actually just preserving the ones that we're going to disintegrate. Um, so I don't know. It's it's honestly really strange to me that there's a stigma attached. I th- maybe, you know, I mean, I remember <laughs> in my twenties, two months ago, just, <laughs> <laughs> um, just feeling more almost feminine and young and vibrant. I mean, not that there's a major shift, but it, it, it is kind of like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm in this decade now where things are changing. The wrinkles are showing up and now my fertility is, you know, going down the tubes. Like, cool holy crap, it's, it's, it's taking away that feeling of invincibility and, um, the kind of womanness that, that comes from, and I mean, it's so stupid. It's not like I'm any less of a woman for having fewer eggs. Um, but maybe there's just this thing of like, I don't really don't want to face that I'm already having these kind of health crises or, um, that I, I can't, I don't know. I can't do the thing that women are su- in big quotes here, like supposed to be on this planet to do. Right. right. It's, um, it's a lot of societal expectations, you know? And I, like, I, I never sort of really, I knew I wanted to be a mom, mm-hmm. but I also knew I wanted to be other things too, you mm-hmm. know, like I wanted a whole, um, I wanted many titles in my life. Mom was just one of them. And um, I don't really associate, you you know, there there is this weird conundrum of associating motherhood with femininity, 
you know? And what does that look like when, what does femininity look like without motherhood, you know? Mm -hmm. Or like how, how can we expand our definitions of this stuff a little bit to help us talk about it a little bit more? I don't know. Of femininity and, and motherhood? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, it, it is, it is significant that when a woman doesn't have a kid, it's very, very talked about. Oh, it, it's um, it, everybody talks about it. Yeah. Like they talk about it into their old age. Well, like they never had kids, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like the, the conversation, nobody ever shuts up about people not having children. Well, it's very funny because as soon as people do have a kid, they're like, holy shit, what did I do to myself? Like, (laughs) I can't even believe it's this hard. Yeah. Um, And it's a perfectly valid choice to just be like, no, I'm I'm good as Mm -hmm. is. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think I think it's stupid. There's a lot of associations of like, oh, she never had kids either because she can't or because she couldn't find a man. Um, which is another kind of denigration of her. Oh, I hate that. Like, yeah, what's wrong with you that you couldn't find somebody to have kids with? Right. Right. (laughs) If someone is listening to this show and considering freezing their eggs, what advice do you have for them? Do it. I mean, the the funny thing is, like, all of this shame and stigma that surrounds it would probably be fixed if people just did it earlier. Mm. And and the thing – because this is what generally happens, I think. People wait until they're 35 and they haven't had a kid yet. And they're like, well, shit, I'm running out of time. I got to freeze my eggs. And then they don't have very many left and they're low quality. What we should be saying is I'm 28 or 30. I want to have my first kid in my early 30s. That one I might be able to have. But then what about kid two and kid three? Those are almost certainly going to be in my mid to late 30s. So why not freeze my eggs now and just preserve it? Um, I, I don't think people ever really, I mean, they, they do, but in the, in the conversation, at least I've been having on Instagram, people just aren't realizing that it's a really good thing to do if you want multiple kids. Mm. Um, cause you know, like if I have a kid at 33, well, when's the next one going to be 36? <laughs> right. Um, and then when's the next one after that going to be? So I would say just, first of all, just get the modern fertility test. It's only like 120 bucks, you know, and then ask the next part I struggle with because I I think people just don't know how to ask about their fertility. Mm. And for whatever reason, gynecology appointments are so complicated. It's like trying to get an STD test at the same time as a pap smear is like impossible. Yeah. This whole idea about preconception appointments, Mm -hmm. it's like a new concept for them. They're like, right. why are you a preconception? Go try, then come back to me. You yeah, know, go try and fail. And then yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. What were you going to say? I feel like I interrupted you, but you were you were going going down the road of gynecology. I, I mean, I just talked to your gynecology about any test they can do, and Dr. Amy has a great web page called the Tushy Method, and that outlines what uh, what tests you should get done. One is, you know, testing your fallopian tubes, making sure they're open. Um, one is an ultrasound. That's how my mass was caught. I mean, it, I think what was so frustrating was how easy it was for her to catch this. 
Mm. I mean, she stuck a wand up my vagina and five seconds later, she's like, oh, you have, you probably have endometriosis and your fertility is threatened and you should get pregnant ASAP. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It was just as easy as that. Yeah. So why, why couldn't that be done by a gynecologist? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just very strange. You know, we get these pap smears and are told like, that's the only thing you really have to do for your gynecological health in an STD test. Right. Um, so yeah, so I would say like, look up the tushy method on Dr. Amy's site, uh, talk to your gynecology about any kind of fertility test they can get done. Try not to take no for an answer. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is that at least modern fertility, like you don't have any pushback. You just buy the thing, prick your finger, and then you find out your AMH, but that's not the full picture. Like I have a great AMH. Right. It just kind of grazes the surface a little bit. Yeah. It yeah. gives you a little bit of insight. Right. I, I, uh, I mean, the, the fact that women are so tied to this biological clock and yet we do nothing to find out about how it's actually ticking or what hour we're on is astonishing. Mm-hmm. We just don't even know what to ask. No one tells us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said. Don't take no for an answer. Like keep pushing, you know, mm-hmm. come in at, you know, ask them about this, ask them about an ultrasound, ask them about some blood tests. You know, how's your, I remember one thing Dr. Amy told me about is getting a thyroid p- panel, like mm-hmm. a complete thyroid panel. If she hadn't, suggested that, I wouldn't have known to even ask my gynecologist about it. And I know my gynecologist wasn't going to suggest it. You know? Sorry, one second. My dog is... Selkie, stop it. That's good. She's uh, she's just chasing her tail. Stop it. Okay, Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Who took care of Sophie when you were in... I mean, what was it like having to travel for egg freezing? Oh, I mean, it was, it was great. It's incompatible with work. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some monitoring here and then have Amy do the actual surgery in California. Um, and Paul, my boyfriend was here taking care of the animals. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Did you get any like judgment about that? About traveling? Yeah. He didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul. Yeah, he doesn't like to be separated from me, which sounds nice, but, you know, uh, <laughs> complicated. Oh, he, he, he loves you. He loves yeah, you. He does. He does. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was hard for him to be away from me when we're getting this news and when all of a sudden I'm calling him like, hey, we have to have a baby immediately. Like, yeah. you ready to get married this winter? Yeah. Um, so there's that. But honestly, I really liked it because... I was with Caroline who is going through something so much worse than me, which sounds shitty to say, but it it was nice being with somebody who gets it. And I think if I had been with someone who collected 20 eggs, I would have just been so depressed. And instead she's like, look, I've been doing this for, you know, a year and a half now. I've gone through the emotions. I know how to take care of you. I know how to tell you what to expect. And so I just there with like a really great friend and it just felt like a little sort of female fertility haven. I feel like Caroline is this 
egg shepherd. Like she's just guiding <laughs> you guys all to like the land of eggs. And not that you guys are sheep, but I just love see I love watching her and she's like driving you all to your appointments and she's like taking you to the Golden Gate Bridge. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to anybody who's afraid of sharing their egg freezing journey, it's really powerful once you do. Um, and people are saying how brave I am and everything, but I, I, you know, I don't really have any shame about this. And so for me, it's like, I didn't know any of this. Why didn't I know any of this? It's because no one's talking about it for whatever reason, our gynecologists, even though the gynecologists are mostly women. I mean, it's just so strange. I didn't know that I didn't know that your fertility, that like every woman had a different kind of biological clock until a new girl episode. That, oh, where yeah. Like, one of the characters finds out she has to have a baby immediately when she's like 30 years old. And then after that, I mean, egg freezing was just something I thought women in their late 30s did mm-hmm. or when they're 40. And so it wasn't until Caroline, you know, really like promoted the hell out of this that I realized it was a good option for me to do. And once you do, I mean, so many women reach out, like she, she, because she's been doing this for a year and a half. I mean, that's the cycle of having a baby, right? So at least one woman has reached out to her and been like, I had this baby because you shared your story. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Caroline knows that in a way she has created life. She is, she is breathing life. God. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible though. That that's um that's making a deep impact on people. Well, I would just all assume that we're fertile and we're fine and nobody talks about how actually it's really hard to get pregnant and all sorts of us have problems with it and as soon as I shared, I mean, it's the number one thing people want me to talk about on Instagram. Um I've gotten t- Tons of women who are going through IVF or egg freezing right now, talking about their struggles, talking about endometriosis. And um, it's just so much of a larger community. It, this, a similar thing happens with abortion. You know, like it's something like a third of all women have had an abortion in their life and yet nobody ever talks about it. And so we think it's a super rare phenomenon. Yes. Yes. It, women's health just in reproductive health, I guess, is just something that we Yes. There's so many with, parallels. Like, so many mm-hmm. parallels. Um, I'm just gonna tell my dog to shut up. Hold on one second. And I kicked, we're back. I kicked mine out. Oh, you kicked yours out. I let mine in. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I feel like, um, what you were saying about Caroline and, you know, sharing her journey and you sharing your journey. I mean, I do think it takes like um, a few powerful voices out there to to be open about this for a lot more, you know, a lot of other women to be feel comfortable sharing about it, too. Yeah. Um, What makes your blood boil about all of this? Just how little we know and how I, I mean, how I anticipate going to the gynecologist and asking for some of these tests and getting pushback. I don't know why we would deserve pushback for just trying to get answers about how to plan the rest of our lives. It's an incredibly responsible thing to do. <laughs> um, 
we'd be in a better place as a society if women could choose when to have kids, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, and just how easy it was for her to diagnose this. It, it's just such, it's such a simple test. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything, anything really else to say. I mean, I, it, in it, honestly, it has annoyed me when men have reached out and asked, why are you doing this? You're so young mm. because it's just, it's not their fault though. I mean, it, it's, I, that's just the, how we think about egg freezing as you know, an older woman's last resort instead of a proactive measure. Right. Right. We do kind of put it in that category of this is my, my final option to have biological mm -hmm. children. Like I have to get yeah. this done. It's not a preventative thing. Right. Um, and there's no other real way to be preventative. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. The other thing I guess is just the price. And Dr. Amy was telling me that so much of the price is just because there's a pharmaceutical monopoly that isn't allowing generic versions of the drugs to be made. And so half the cost is medication. Oh my gosh, no way. That's, oh, that's makes me feel gross and slimy. Yeah. <laughs> so no. in Europe, actually, they, there are generic versions and I think the cost is quite a lot less, but. Oh my gosh. I mean, I believe that because I've interviewed people from the UK and they get a couple rounds of IVF for free over there in the NHS. Oh, yeah. So nice. that makes a lot each, of sense. Each, each of those shots is $400 that you do every night. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Um, well, how can people follow you and your journey? I think you have a podcast, correct? Let's blast I that do. on the airwaves. I would love to. Um, so first of all, you can find me on my Instagram. It's Trumbolina, um, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L-I-N-A. And uh, my podcast is called A Little Help for Our Friends. It's a mental health podcast that I co-host with um, a very, very close friend of mine who also freezed her eggs, froze her eggs, <laughs> rather, <laughs> uh, Dr. Kibby McMahon. So the our podcast is basically about talking about mental health as um, more of a, not just the person experiencing mental health difficulties, but their loved ones and friends. And it's really marketed at them. How can you help your friend who's struggling? And how can you help yourself when you are in a partnership with someone who? is struggling or has a personality disorder or something's going on. Um, because what, what so often happens is that someone's depressed. Uh, we think a lot about that person, but the friends and family are expending so much energy trying to help, not being able to help feeling so frustrated and helpless. And, um, and sometimes their boundaries get pushed. And so it's kind of a put on your oxygen mask before helping others approach Mm. To, to mental health. And uh, so, yeah, that's a little help for our friends. And we're on all the major podcasts. I love sites. it. I love it. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. We we all are pulling for you and rooting for you over Thank here. You. And um, we'll be eagerly following your journey um, through your next two retrievals. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. 
Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.